Y'all have fun. And you guys, if you wouldn't mind opening up your Bibles to Psalm 1, this uh, series that we're working through in the church, there's various topics, and uh, I, get, I get to preach on the topic of doctrine. And I'm not going to lie, I wasn't all that excited about this at first. Um, I'm just not one of those guys that likes to sit down and have a bunch of theological discussions with a lot of multisyllabic words and, and you know, I just soon just get right down to kind of a simplest form. What is it God wants me to do? Because I have a hard enough time with that, let alone all the, the you know, the big stuff. And so at first I was kind of pushing back, but then after church last Sunday and I went home and I prayed about it and I looked at it and God kind of laid this on my heart. And as I was looking through it, I thought, man, this is... This is just talking about how we are to respond to doctrine. And I want us to kind of get an idea of what I mean by doctrine, okay? I, I'm, I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of definitions out there. When, if, if you just Google definition for doctrine, man, you'll get all kind of stuff out there. But there's two of them that I ran across this week that I really liked. Again, they're simple. I can get my head around it. And it's really good. One of them is actually from a guy. He's an editor with nine marks. I don't need to give his name. Um, I've read about him before. He's got some good stuff, but I like what he says. Doctrine is teaching from God about God that directs us to the glory of God. All right? Think about that. It's, it, it is from God. It's about God, and it's directing us to the glory of God. All right? So that is his definition of doctrine. There's another uh, one I like, and it's actually from a um, systematic theology professor at a very conservative, somewhat, or a very conservative uh, seminary, and he writes this, doctrine is, uh, sound doctrine is the summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. I always like things that are useful for life. A lot of times we get caught up into some of these. When I was in seminary, I remember sitting in Fort Worth Hall, sitting on the steps of the dormitory, and all these guys are sitting around and are throwing out things that we have learned, and in all honesty, half the stuff we talked about just was not applicable to life. It's just a lot of stuff, a lot of theories, a lot of, you know, d debates and, and all this stuff. And it just wasn't edifying one bit. What I liked when I dive into God's word, God, what is that one nugget of truth that's going to impact my life in a way that I'm going to be able to, to direct not only my thoughts to you, but the thoughts of others to you as well. And so when we look at this, th those are kind of the definitions, that, those two definitions are going to be kind of what I'm talking about. It's, the, 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 it's about teaching from God, about God, that directs us to the glory of God, that is faithful to the Bible and useful for life. And so I hope that this morning when we leave here, we'll be able to say, okay, yeah, that's kind of useful. I can see how that works. And to start with, we're going to look at the second verse in Psalm 1. We're not going to start at 1 and work our way through. I want us to look at that second verse. We're going to actually spend some time on this one because if we get our head around this one, then the three points that are actually, because you know you can't have a sermon without three points, right? You, you, so the three points that come are actually later in the sermon, but if we don't get this first part right, those things aren't going to matter. And so we're going to spend our time on verse 2 here. And it just basically says this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now, the law of the Lord, if you, if you look it up, it's, it's instruction, it's guidelines, it's teaching. It's those kinds of things. The law of the Lord is, you know, the, the, the scriptures that we have, they're there to instruct us and to guide us and to, you know, impact us and, 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 and all those things. 
All right, so when we look at the law of the Lord, I kind of equate doctrine along with that. It's the teaching that it is from God, it is, it is about God, and it is to the glory of God. And so as we look at the, we it says here that we are to delight in this. Now, when I first heard this, I remember I was in college, and I heard a guy talking about delighting in the law of the Lord. And you know, I don't know about you, but guys like me, we just don't use words like delight. You know, because I, I hear things every now and then like, wasn't that, that's a, that was a delightful cucumber salad. We just don't say that about steak, do we? That's a delightful steak. We don't, you know, we talk, we drive down the road and all this and it's nice weather and the hair's blowing, well, if you had hair, it's blowing in the wind and, and you're riding along and, 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 and all this cool stuff is, you know, it's just beautiful weather. Oh, is this a delightful day? Or you're in an airport or in a restaurant or someplace where you're meeting someone new and as you get to know them, man, they're fascinating and all this. And as you walk away, you know, the man usually doesn't, but the wife might say something like, weren't they delightful as you walk away? But I want us to think about this. When you use that word delight, what is it usually dependent on? It is usually dependent on how blessed we are or whatever we're receiving, how good that thing is. We would not say, boy, what a delightful tornado we had today. Would we? Or, you know, some of you might know, oh, that was some delightful bowl of grits. I don't know many people that, I like it, but I don't know many people that do like, you know, just bowl of grits and all. And not everybody you run across is delightful, right? But think about this, when this word, and I remember that guy in college, he was talking about delighting in the law of the Lord and all that, and he was bringing up all this stuff, but afterwards, I remember there were several of us, we'd go to the pizza, pizza Inn, and they had this buffet, and it was really nice, and all the guys would sit around, and one of the guys brought it up, what do you think he meant by delight in the law of the Lord? Aren't there some things in there that are just hard to swallow? Aren't there some tough stuff that we're supposed to delight in, in the word of the Lord? And sitting around that table, we kind of got the idea that, you know, because we were in Pizza Inn, we're having a buffet, and his response was, yeah, I think the law of the Lord is not like a buffet. You don't get to kind of pick and choose what you want. Oh, I like this part of God's Word. I like this part of the Bible. But this other stuff, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't buy into. Well, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying whatever is put in front of you, delight in it. My mom used to do this. I don't know if y'all have this problem. I know I was this way. Mom, why can't we have fried chicken? Mama, why can't we have mashed potatoes, gravies, biscuits, all that? But yet she'd bring this stuff in there like broccoli put in front of us or green beans or, heaven forbid, asparagus. Just put this stuff in front. And me and my two brothers were just, and, and, and my sister at times were just looking at this stuff going, what is this? And mom says, you will eat it. And you will enjoy it. Now, my mom is coming from a different place than I am. I wanted to hit my taste buds and to make me feel good. Right? I wanted to do something that really just is something that I want. My mom was doing it not just from something that I may want, but something that I may need. And I have learned over the years, I like broccoli now. I'll actually steam me some broccoli and grill me some salmon and have it together. Just those two things. Only when Shannon's gone, so she doesn't like fish. But I'll, I'll do that. I like, I don't, still don't like asparagus, I'm sorry. But, but, but you know, those, those things, those green vegetables that mom used, she was doing that because she knew that we, that's what our bodies needed. 
Whether we wanted it or not, that's what our bodies needed. And over time, as I matured and as I grew up, I kind of came to a place where I said, you know, now I understand where mom's coming from. And now I, I actually delight in broccoli. Whereas before, it was, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Here, I think he's saying that delight in the law of the Lord. We have to be willing that when we are diving into God's word and we're looking at what God's word is saying, we have to receive it from God because he knows what's best for us, not what we think is best for us, and definitely not what we read into it. Right? Because it's not going to do any of us any good if we look at broccoli and try to think, you know, that's really a pork chop. It's not going to do any of it because when we take it, it's, it's, still going to, it's still going to be broccoli. And it's not going to be what we expect. What we need to do is allow God to whatever he gives us in his word, whatever that might be, we need to kind of take it. We're going to delight in this. We're going to enjoy this. We're going to know that even if this is hard pill to swallow, it is for our benefit. Whatever that might be. The second part of that verse and on this law, he meditates day and night. Now, this one, I actually, uh, this past week, as I was studying this, I came across, I was, I was looking at this word meditate, and I found something unique and different in that. When you look at the, uh, when you look at a Strong's Dictionary, the, the, uh, the Hebrew, Greek, and all that kind of stuff, the dictionary in there, you start finding you know, what some other words might be used in it. And the first three words that came up in this word for meditate, the first three words that came up were roar, growl, and groan. Does that sound like meditate to you? It didn't to me. And so I started digging further, trying to find out more about this word. The word is Haggai. H-A-G-A, that's the English kind of, you know, thing. It's Haggai. And so as you as you look at further into this word, the picture that is actually given is of a lion, a hungry lion that is in, de in a determined pursuit of his prey. All right? Now, I want you to get a picture of this. Now, there, there are other words that line up with meditate, like devise, imagine, muse. It's, you know, pondering. It's all these kind of things. But very seldom do any of the words come up in the words, the way that we determine or define what meditate is, which is usually what? Quiet contemplation. It's not sitting on a yoga mat waiting for something to come fill our brains or anything. It's not this personal reflection. It's not, it's not just us going, okay, God, give it to me. Osmosis doesn't happen that way, right? It just doesn't happen that way. And so what this, the word meditate actually comes across, it actually comes across as not as waiting to get something, but it is going to get something. It is knowing that, man, I am hungry, I am determined, I, I, know, I know what, and, and here, here's, here's a, I read, a, I read a, a blog this past week from a guy, and he said, and it goes along with what it says earlier with, um, with delighting in the law of the Lord. A lion, when he goes out, many times a lion's favorite food, food he said, was zebra. You know, can you imagine a lion out, in the, out where he lives and all that, and he's kind of sticking his head up out of the grass, and he's going, oh man, there's some zebra over there. And they start working his way around. He starts, you know, getting closer and closer. And he gets to that place where he's not only he's figuring out the best way to get there, but then he starts to chase and he pounces whatever. But what, does he always get the zebra? No, sometimes he has to kind of settle for the water buffalo. 
Or worse, just whatever happens to be dead over there in the bush that another animal just left behind. But he's still hungry, and he's still going after it, no matter what it is. He said the lion is not just so focused on the one thing that he wants. He's he's going out there for anything that's going to bring nutrients to his body, that's going to nourish his body. Anything that's going to allow him to live, take the next step, go the next day, do the next thing that lions do. So he's delighting in whatever is laid before him. He might have a preference, but he's delighting in whatever is laying before him. He's just getting into that, and he's allowing that to nourish him so that he can go on and do the next thing that lions do. And that is, to, to assert, that is what this is saying here. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Whatever comes our way, whatever it is that we're getting out of this book, whatever it is that we're gleaning from this through the Holy Spirit, whatever that is, it is for our good. Whether we like it or how many of you have ever read this and go, man, I don't like that. I I can imagine God looking down and saying, tough, there it is, deal with it. You know, I I I can imagine just like my mother, you will eat it and you will like it. Delight in the law of the Lord and meditate, be in hungry pursuit, be determined, chasing after whatever it is that God wants for us. That's more what it's saying here than just, okay, God, I'm waiting. Let me know what you got for me. I'm going to read this one verse and just sit back here and listen to some nice Christian music for the next hour and hope I hear from you, God. And that, there might be something that happens in there, but that's more passive than active. And this is talking about being active in the pursuit of what God has for us. And so with that being said, that's kind of the, the table that is being set there. When we, look at the, when we look at it, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. If we truly do that, there are three things that are actually going to benefit us. There's three things that I believe, there's more than that, but there's three things I chose out of this, this, this book here, the Psalm 1, that I think we, will benefit us. And the first one is this, it'll keep us from straying. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is that man. Happy is that man. Content is that man. Well off is that man. You kind of, you know, put a lot of things in there, but it is something that this man is better off if he's not doing these things. These things are going to lead him to stray. And this is what he talks about here. He talks about walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the path of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. These things are going to lead you astray. But if we delight in sound doctrine, if we delight in the law of the Lord, if we delight in what God has for us in his word, that is useful for life, is truthful to the Bible, that is from God, about God, and and, and bringing glory to God, if, if, if that is our concern and that is what we're trying to do, then we do not want to walk among the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. Now let me just, I need to clarify this. It does not mean, many, there's some people in various places that have pointed that verse and kind of justified the fact that we need to kind of separate ourselves from the world. That's not what that verse is saying. They, 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 they kind of look at this and saying, don't walk among the wicked. Don't stand in the, way of, in, in the way of the sinners are going. Don't 
sit and rest in the lifestyle of the, those scoffers or anything like that. That's not what that is. That, that is not what that is. It don't, Jesus walked among them, right? Jesus sat among them, right? Jesus did that, and he told us, you know, what I do, do what I do. He challenged us to go out. He, he, he tells us to go into this world and make disciples. And so we're not supposed to avoid anybody. What, what it is saying here is that we're not supposed to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Not just, we can walk among the wicked. We just can't walk in their counsel. We can stand among sinners. We just can't stand in the ways that they live their life. We cannot just kind of go along with them. And we cannot sit down and participate in whatever might happen. Because listen, when Jesus sat down with the Pharisees and meals, he did not hesitate to call them out. But he still sat down among them. And so what he's saying here is that, yeah, go out there and engage but you don't have to engage them, but you don't have to embrace what they believe in. You don't have to buy into everything that they do. When you do that, as you walk among them, as you stand among them, as you sit among them, do you see the progression there of movement that you're actually moving, then you're kind of stationary, and then you're resting in? There's a progression there of how we kind of stumble and fall in our sin as we do walk into, in their counsel, as we do stand in, the, in their path, in their ways, as we do sit in their seats and rest in what they, their lifestyles. As we do that, there is a progression of movement to stationary to just resting in sin. But this does not say anything about we're supposed to be avoiding these folks. This is saying just don't, as you're among them, don't buy into everything. Don't live like them. Don't be like them. We are supposed to be a light. We're supposed to be salt. We are supposed to be pointing people to him, to Christ. Not even to ourselves, but to Christ we're supposed to be pointing them. And so here it is saying, it is saying that as, 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 these, as these guys are, how blessed is this man as if he does not do these things, it'll keep him from straying. He will remain faithful. He will remain honoring to God. He will remain in a way that brings glory to God. And so Jesus, as he did, walk among them, interact with them, ate with them. He encourages us to do the same thing, but not in a way to embrace their lifestyles, their counsel, their anything like that. So the first thing that if, as we, if we delight in the law of the Lord, and if we meditate, if we are in hungry pursuit, determined hungry pursuit of his word day and night, It'll keep us from straying. The second thing it'll do is it'll help us to be fruitful. Once you look in verse 3, he will be like a tree firmly planted in streams of water which yield its fruit. In its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he prospers. Now, I want you to think about in the context that where this, there, there, you know, this, this writer there is there in a, pretty much a barren, arid, dry place, right? And so when trees are, you know, planted, they, they, in order for them, those trees to survive, to function, to be fruitful, they have to be very near two things, water and some firm ground. They just can't be 
plant it out among the sand somewhere because if the, if the sand is really deep and the roots are not going to take root, that tree's not going to survive. Here the word planted actually means to transplant. The image here is that as you're out in this dry and arid place, as you're out here doing this, that if you delight in the law of the Lord, you will be transplanted firmly. Okay, you can't be transplanted firmly in sand, but you can in firm ground and near streams of water. And so here it's talking about as you, as you, that man who is delighting in the law of the Lord, who is meditating on it day and night, who's not being pulled astray, who's not being led astray by those who are the, the wicked and the sinners and the scoffers and all that. He's not buying into what they say. What he is saying here is that you will be transplanted firmly by streams of water where you will be fruitful. And it says it yields its fruit and its leaf does not wither. We... A couple of months ago, I, I, I preached on John 15, 8, where Jesus said, he said that my Father's glorified in this, that you produce much fruit. We are to be fruitful. And if you remember in that sermon, there were three fruits, and two of them are something that we need, we, we actually have more control than the third one do, and that's, and that's that we need to be fruitful as in the fruit of the Spirit, what God does in us, and the fruit of obedience, what God does through us. And so you see the streams of living water that we are going to be planted by aren't just some random streams of water. It is the streams of water that are going to give us life, that are going to allow us to be fruitful. It is the streams of living water that as we delight in this book, as we delight in its teachings, as we delight in its doctrine and we meditate, we're in hungry pursuit of it all the time, we will be fruitful. And we will not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Because our prosperity doesn't come from the decisions that we make or anything. It's not talking about how well you're doing financially or how well you're doing health-wise or anything like that. Because there are people out there that are in wheelchairs. There are people out there who are broken and poor and all that. But they would tell you they are prospering in the Lord. And one of the ways that we all are prospering in the Lord is knowing that our eternity is secure. Our eternity is certain. That is something that cannot be taken from us. It is banked. It is there for us. And the day that, we, that we are, are, are this, we're done with this life and we move on to the next one, Christ is going to just kind of take us right into the eternity that he has for us. That is prosperity. The knowledge of knowing that that day will come. But also, that prosperity knowing that we are firmly planted by streams of water, that we are delighting in his word, that we are meditating on it day and night, that we are allowing the word to nourish us, to do what God wants to do in us and through us. In that way, we prosper. We don't know what that looks like for each. I promise you, I had no idea when I first became a, a follower of Jesus in 1982. I had no idea that I would ever pastor a church. I had no idea I would ever be a missionary in, in foreign countries. I had no idea I'd ever be in ministry whatsoever. Honestly, what I wanted to do was be a high school football coach. That's what I wanted to do. 
In some little small town in the south, I just wanted to be the guy that kind of saw these young boys come on the team and trying to work them and have some success. And, and I, I wanted to be that guy. Or I wanted to be the guy that was the backpacking instructor that was going to be able to hike the Appalachian Trail and then set up a place where I would be able to have a business to train people how to do backpacking. That's the guy I wanted to be. But on November 21st, 1982, God changed those plans for me. When I came forward and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, when I realized that the, where I was, where I was, was not in a good place. Separated from God because of my pride, separated God from, because of my willingness to, or my unwillingness to listen to what the Bible said, even though I had been in church at times, even though I had been around Christians at times, I refused to believe anything that anyone said. Why? Because it was in the way of my plans. It wasn't lined up with my goals. But he broke me, he called me to himself, and he changed the direction of my life. And there is not one regret whatsoever in any of that. In any of that. I wouldn't give it up for anything, the journey I've been on. That's how I, God has prospered me. Not necessarily in success in the eyes of the world, but as I try my best to honor him in the things that I think and say and do, as I try to honor him in my marriage with Shannon, as I try to honor him with my sons, as I try to honor him in my neighbor's eyes, as I try to honor him even in a church that I serve in or among churches that I serve alongside pastors with, whatever that might be, in a foreign country where they are so anti-Christian, I get up and just try my best to honor him. And did I do it every time? No. But I always go back to his calling. I go back to his source of strength and power and wisdom in this book. I always go back to that, and he sets me right again. And he will continue to do that. But friends, we have to be hungry pursuing that. We can't just be passive about that. We can't just think, oh, it'll happen. It doesn't, do that. It doesn't happen that way. And so he keeps us, by, by delighting in the law of the Lord and his law, as we meditate day and night, he keeps us from straying, and it, keep, it helps us to be fruitful. And the last thing that it does, the third thing that it does, is that I, it identifies us with Christ. Look at verse 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows. Now that's not just a, that's not just a uh, word that kind of lets you know that God is aware of something. It's not just a mental awareness of something. There is an intimacy tied into that word, he knows. Because he knows the way of the righteous. He's, he's intimately aware of how we are, how we live our lives. He is always in tune with what's going on in our minds, with, with our motives, with our attitudes, with all of these things. He is always intimately aware with these things. And so there is a, there is a with the righteous, as, we, as, as, as the saints are doing their best to meditate, to pursue, to, to, to delight in his law and allow that to change and transform us and come alongside him, listen, that identifies us with him because it says he knows us, but the way of the wicked, that's not, that's, there's nowhere near that. 
We are identified with Christ. In that same verse I pointed to earlier in John 15, 8, it said, My Father is glorified in this, that you produce much fruit. And the last part of that was, and prove to be my disciples. That as we allow him to work in us and through us, we prove that we are his disciples. We are part of the way of the righteous. We are a way of the righteous here, and he knows us. He is aware of us in a way that's not just, oh, I've seen it. and I, I, he, is, he, he knows our motives. He knows our thoughts. He knows why we are doing these things. Whatever it is that we're doing, he is completely aware of what's going on. And so, church, we are to delight in this. We are to meditate on this so that as we continue to grow, we are not only identified him in our own height, but other people will start seeing us and identifying us with Christ as well. What does it say in Matthew that he says, and let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That not only are you a Christian and you're walking with him, but that actually walking in such a way, doing something in such a way that when others see you, they can identify you with Christ. And so by meditating on his word, by delighting in whatever it is that we receive from him, we are identified with Christ. And so friends, in this, in this passage, I, I, I just, I, I was going to go to something else, but I want to close with this. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And if we do that, those three things are true. Those three things are sure. Those three things are promised. Those three things are something that we can grasp onto and hold onto and be assured of and know that he will, we, will not, he, we will not go astray. He will be right there with us. He will not leave us or forsake us. We will not go astray. That is a certainty. We will be fruitful. He says it. That if I am working in you and working through you, and you can't do that without the Holy Spirit doing its work, but you can't do that without aligning our lives up with what we're learning from this. Again, remember, it's not a buffet line. You accept what's put in front of you. As you open up God's Word, you don't pick and choose what you want out of here. It's the whole thing. It's everything. And so when we, when, when we do that, if we delight in it, and if we meditate on it, not only will we not lead, be led astray, not only will we be fruitful, but we will also be identified with Christ. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for your word. I am grateful that we do not have to be dependent upon men to learn what you want for us. I am grateful, Father, that you have given each one, each follower, the Holy Spirit, to teach us the truth, to instruct us in your word. And so, Father, help us to see in our own lives, are we genuinely, truly, honestly, in hungry pursuit of your word, of your law, of your teaching, of your doctrine, whatever it is you want to call it, Father? Are we in hungry pursuit 
of the truth that you have for us and delighting in whatever may come from it. Are we trusting you and your word? Help us, Father, to see that all of our life is worthless, is hopeless, is pitiful without you actively involved. And you have given us your word for us to be able to line our lives up along with it, to guide us, to instruct us, to transform us into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. We are grateful for that, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.